You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning. How are y'all? Thanks for um, having me here. I appreciate I appreciate the chance to be together. Um, Cameron and I are recording a podcast called The Fear Factor in Parenting for Rooted right now. And I have to say that studying about fear has been really, really helpful for me in my parenting. I, my three boys are 24, 23, and 20 years old. And so um, they're all converging on the nest for Thanksgiving, which I'm super excited about. They're scattered, Charlotte, Washington, D.C., and California. And so I've got two of the three home already, and I'm very, very excited about that. But I will say that going back and sort of thinking about this and praying through this, um, thinking about where I was with parents of teenagers and parents of little kids, it's actually not all that different from parents of adults in terms of you're always going to be afraid for your children. We were, we were talking about that just a minute ago. It, it just never completely goes away. But what I hope to see today is that God can use that and transform that into um, fear of Him, which is a whole lot more, it's a safer and um, more peaceful place than being terrified about what's ahead for our children all the time. So anyway, hopefully we will... Um, make some progress today. We're going to talk about how the fear of the Lord is a refuge for fearful parents. We're going to start, though, by delving into why it's so important that parents deal with their fears for their children in a productive and constructive way. It's far more important than simply getting peace of mind so that you can sleep or um, less irritability with them when they're not going, you know, doing things according to your plan. It, it's far deeper and more profound than that. And it really impacts our relationships with them and definitely our relationship with God if our fear for them rules our home and rules our parenting. So we're going to start um, in Judges 14. And I'll just sort of tell you the background here. This is a story you know. Manoah and his wife, who remains nameless in the text, are barren. And the angel of the Lord visits them and tells them they are going to have a child. And they will they get very specific instructions that this boy will be a Nazarite. Um, and he will be set apart for the work of the Lord. There's some rules that he follows with uh, respect to what he eats, what he drinks, and um, unclean things. And, of course, with Samson, his hair. Um, You know the story. Samson's born, and he grows up to be an incredibly strong human being. But starting in Judges 14.1, we read that Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as a wife. Red flag. Samson is not supposed to go to Timnah. Samson is not supposed to marry a Philistine. 
and he's not really supposed to talk to his parents like that either. Um, in his time in his culture, an obedient son would have waited for his parents to select a suitable wife for him. So we already see he's out from under their authority. They protest, but kind of timidly. Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? More trouble. This is the time for an assertive no. <laughs> but they're pleading with him to do what he knows is right. He responds, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. These are not the words of a man who respects God's authority or his parents' authority. We get the sense that this is a man who's accustomed to doing whatever is right in his own eyes. And much of the rest of his story is this tragic unruliness of a man whose parents have always been afraid to tell him no. We don't know exactly why that's the case, but we do see the results. It's likely that they idolized him because he's this big, strong, macho guy, and um, the result of a promise and selected by the Lord for special things. I mean, it would be hard not to idolize a child like that, I think. Um, but they probably were afraid that if they told him no, that he would just wash his hands of them. I mean, we know, I know what that feels like. I have a lot of sympathy for Manoah and his wife because I know what it's like to be afraid to discipline my children. Basically, I want them to like me because I like them a whole lot. And I'm a, I, I fear them rejecting me. So we'll compare that with centuries later, another baby is born to a barren couple, and he too is set apart by God to be a Nazarite. You know who I'm talking about. John is born to Elizabeth in Zechariah. From the moment he's born, his father gladly submits his life and the baby's life to the will of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah fears God, but he learned how to the hard way. We remember that he'd been humbled by many months of complete muteness before John was ever born. And it's because he disbelieved the words of the angel Gabriel. It's kind of like God had given him sort of a holy time out. Um, which, honestly, there are times in my life when I wouldn't have minded a holy time out. Um, but um, it's like he said to, to Zechariah, I want you to sit here and think about who I am and what I have promised you. You will speak when you have learned to fear me more than anything else. If you're like me and you struggle to believe God, like Zechariah did, or if you don't always tell your kids no when you ought to, like Samson's parents did, you will be comforted by knowing that God is sovereign in both of these families. That John's dad, Zechariah, got the time out that he needed, which had to be scary when it happened, but it turned out to, to be very fruitful. Um, he was prepared to fear the Lord more than anything by the time that John was born. For Samson, his desire for a Philistine wife was sinful, and his power over his parents was also sinful on their part and his part. But Judges 14.4 tells us that God allowed this disobedience for his own purposes. 
But Samson still has not learned to do what's right in God's eyes. He didn't fear the Lord, and God and his sovereign power could still use Samson for his purposes, but we know he died a tragic and an unnecessary death. He can use our failures with our kids. He can use their failures. He can use our failures in our parenting. But if we fail to reverence God above all else, it will bring trouble. It will bring trouble. And Samson's a a prime example. I'm really grateful for God's sovereignty over all things in my home because I'm a really fearful parent. I'll just straight up tell you. Um, I grew up in a really fearful home, and I knew that I wanted to parent differently, but I had no idea how to to do that. I knew that when I hover, micromanage, I know Cameron's talked to y'all about our tendency to control and withdraw. I I didn't want to do those things, but I didn't have a clue how to parent from a place of freedom and rest. And having been a mom for 24 and a half plus years, I'm still very much learning. To make matters worse, um, for me, my husband passed away when my kids were 9, 12, and 13 years old. So there was a lot of fear that kind of came wrapped up in all of that. A lot of grief, fear for how my children would respond to this loss, fear of being the, the leader and the the guide that they needed to be um all as two of them were about to be teenagers and the third one would be too well you kind of feel vulnerable anyway when your kids are about to be teenagers and and then just what i know about the vulnerability of kids from single family home single parent homes um i was absolutely tormented with fear after my husband died and i um in starting almost immediately, I felt this weird urge all the time um, to hide, and that was the word that kept coming to mind. Uh, I really wanted to like go crawl in a hole, wrap my arms around my kids, and crawl in a hole. I didn't want anybody to go anywhere, do anything, and just keep everybody as safe as I possibly could. And of course, that that wasn't possible. Um, but it was like a, almost a physical need. I even sort of held myself like this as if I could just make myself really, really small and kind of just disappear. Sometimes I even wanted to hide from my kids because everybody knows about that. But I, I, uh, I just felt completely overwhelmed with fear about what was to come and how in the world I would get all three of them alive through the teenage years and into adulthood. Um, And so, God met me like he does. And I began to notice words that I just, in the the scripture that I had just read over before. And you know what I'm going to say, words like refuge, stronghold, fortress, um, rock, verbs like cover, hide. Uh, The word hide is all over the place. And it just began to minister to me. I remember when I connected the dots. I was reading my husband's Bible in the bed one night, and I just sat upright. And it was like all of a sudden this metaphor that had just been a nice idea throughout Scripture, God protects the vulnerable people. Um, all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, this is for me. Um, it was really, all of a sudden it was personal. 
these, these images of, of refuges and strongholds and rocks and fortresses. I needed a place to hide and over and over it was like this big neon sign pointing um, to me. God saying, you can hide in me. In fact, you're hidden in Christ. You're already there. You're safe with me and the boys are safe too. So, there's a whole lot that scripture has to say on this. And um, when I was trying to prepare this, I didn't even know where to start. So, we're going to start in one proverb, two lines. Just focus on um, Proverbs 14, 26, which says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. So, the first thing I wanted to know when I read this verse is who the his children was referring to. Who's the he? I'm an editor, so if you have a pronoun, there has to be an antecedent. The pronoun refers to somebody. <laughs> who is that pronoun referring to? And if you submitted an article to read it, I would ask you to clarify the pronoun. And because this is not being submitted to me, um, I went to the commentators and where who is this talking about? Is this talking about God's children shall have a place of refuge or is it the children of the one who fears the Lord? You see the distinction? Well, guess what? The commentators don't know. And so everybody assumes that both are correct. And it is, so what it's saying to us is that all Lord's children, those who belong to the Lord in faith, uh, through, uh, in, faith in Jesus Christ, um, they have a refuge in him. And so do their children. Our children have a refuge. John Piper, talking about this verse, says, it says the solution to fear is fear. The solution to timidity is fear. The solution to uncertainty is fear. The solution to doubt is fear. Paradoxically, the fear of the Lord is the safe place for us and for our kids. Matt Smethurst says, to be clear, we don't fear him because he's mean, we fear him because he's holy. I have to walk myself through that distinction because the word fear automatically has a negative connotation in my mind. But the fear of the Lord is meant to be our confidence and our protection from evil. Furthermore, as we learn to fear God and we take refuge in him, for the sake of our kids, they get to see and experience him as their refuge as well. So this is really basic, but fear of the Lord. What is it? How do I get it? Tim Keller says, in the original language, fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid of him. It means, I love this, sustaining a joyful, astonished awe and wonder before him. Sustaining joyful, astonished Um, let's pray real quick. <laughs> Father, um, we don't know what's going on, but you do. And we just pray for um, wisdom for her as she ministers to this situation and safety for the person who needs the doctor. Um, we love you, Lord, and we thank you that you are a healer. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, sustaining a joyful, astonished awe and wonder before him. How do we sustain this? We have to look on him. We gaze on him. We contemplate him. We can 
attempt to convey our wonder in words. We try to put it in words. We try to sing about it. Um, around Rooted, we have a Cameronism. He says, eyes on prize, focus, focus, focus. Y'all, some of y'all that know him have heard him say that. Um, but I say that to myself about Jesus, right? Eyes on prize. He's the prize. Focus, focus, focus. Anna, come on. You know, um, it, it, that actually really helps me, believe it or not. Um, how much time do I spend talking about my fears relative to how much time do I spend talking about what Jesus has done for me and the power that he has um, on my behalf? The proportions. I need to examine those proportions. How much time did I spend gazing at the online grade portal or, you know, the, the, tri- the whoever made the team list um, versus, we've looked at some team lists, um, how much time do I spend gazing into the Word of God? These are real quantifiable things that we can, um, we can measure. Psalm uh, 130 verse 4 says, But with you, God, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The more we look at what God has done for us in Christ, the more we examine the gospel, the more we understand just how lost we are without him, how powerless we are over sin and everything else in this world without him, the more that amazement will transform us. And Tim Keller even goes so far as to say, if you fear the Lord in that way, you won't be afraid of anything else. And you won't be enslaved to anything else. Think about what that means for us as parents. Personalize it. So my mind goes to, if God is for us, if God is for my kids, who can be against them? Not the terrible math teacher. And you understand I was an English teacher, so all terrible teachers are math teachers. (laughs) Terrible math teacher. Not the coach. Can't be against my child. Can't. uh, The mean girl in the cafeteria, um, college admissions people, people who are interviewing them in a job. None of these things can separate my child from the love that God has for them in Christ Jesus. None of them can't do anything. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So everything I need, the wisdom, the confidence, the protection, the grace that I need to lead my family. Why do I think he would hold out on me? I have to go through these things and think about what is it that I actually need and how is God meeting those needs? We have to make this a really conscious choice to fear the Lord. If we want it, this fear of the Lord to be so profound in us that it eclipses any threat, real or imagined, in this world, we have to go for it. It takes conscious choice and effort, and when we're not feeling it, we confess and add for the, ask Him for the will and the strength to keep coming back to the fear of the Lord. I know we know this. I know this is Christianity 101. I know, we all know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But if we sense fear for ourselves, in ourselves, for our children, if we can't sleep, if we have butterflies in our stomach, if we're anxious and asking people for advice all the time, if we are controlling them and trying to make certain things happen for them, those are all things that clue us into the fact that 
We're not fearing the Lord more than the things of this world. Eyes on prize, focus on Jesus. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So, let's go back to the verse for a second. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. So, let's think about what it means to take refuge. Jesus tells us in this world we will have trouble. That is a promise. We had as our conference theme this year the promises of God, um, and people wrote articles all year about the glorious promises in Scripture, but nobody wrote about that promise. In this world, you will have trouble. Um, I, I kept thinking, wouldn't that be a good one? Because <laughs> we know that one's coming through on, on a regular basis. Um, I appreciate that Jesus didn't try to sugarcoat anything, too. Um, We've come through many dangerous toils and snares, and we're still coming through them. Cameron talked with you all about threats last week. Whether they're real or imagined, though, God knows that we need protection. Whether the threat is from outside of us or whether it's the sin in us, we need protection. Because we're covered in the blood of Christ, we can enter the stronghold of the Lord with confidence and safety and know that we're welcome there. We are welcome in the fortress that is God. We don't have to hang around on the outside because we've messed up and we're scared for our kids and we've blown up at them or manipulated or controlled. We're, we're inside the stronghold of the Lord. We're so tempted to take refuge elsewhere. Uh, I think I saw that really clearly in the pandemic because I tried to construct a fortress of stockpiled toilet paper and canned vegetables. Um, and if there was ever something that is not a stronghold, it was my um, hoarding. That did not do any good. It made me feel good for a minute um, that I had everything we needed, supposedly. Um, there's nothing wrong with buying supplies to tide over your family. But um, we hide in so many places, and we cover ourselves with so many fig leaves, and we offer them to our children, too. Boy, wouldn't it be great if you got all A's? You're so close this grading period. Wouldn't that be great? Gosh, keep on working at it, honey. You're so close. Um, it's a fig leaf. Here's the truth. There is no other refuge. There isn't any other refuge. There nothing else can protect us and hold us like the love of Christ. There isn't anything. So if we parents trust um, in good grades or in um, one we really trusted in is ingratiating manners, if our kids can just be really pleasant to all the adults and all the teachers and all the coaches, everybody will like them and then they will get the notice and they will get the honors and they will la la la. Um, um, that's a confession. I'm embarrassed about that. But that's how we raised our children. Um, belonging to a certain group, whatever it may be, those kids are going to trust in those things too. And we lead them to trust in our, in our false fortresses made of toilet paper. And they last just about as long. But if we are sustaining joyful, astonished awe, they will feel more secure in the Lord, too. One of the many not-so-fun results of my husband's death was that I started having panic attacks, which I had never had before. And I started having them 
Frequently when I was driving the car, and my oldest child was 13, so I was a long way from anybody else being able to drive the car. It was worse on the interstate. And it was really a bummer because I was one of those people who really enjoyed road trips. And I'd driven myself all over the eastern half of the United States, often by myself when I was single. And I had trouble going to the high school from my house, which is like three or four miles. Um, I was so anxious driving in the car. And I don't know why that's what it is. These fears are not rational. Um, but uh, so one summer, um, I took my kids on a vacation out west. And I don't know what I was thinking, that I wasn't going to end up on a road with my children. But there we were. Uh, we were on a two-lane road, and we were surrounded by these beautiful wide-open plains and mountains in the distance. And it was just breathtaking and I went into a full-blown panic attack almost from at the start of the drive and I was trembling I was shaking I was sweating I was crying my children were terrified and there was nobody else to drive the car it was me and we had two hours to get to the airport so we weren't going anywhere we weren't getting home unless I drove us there. So there was absolutely no way out of this. Um, so my son Sam was in the passenger seat and I made him look in my backpack and pull out my Bible and I said, we're gonna memorize Psalm 121 right now. There's absolutely no way I could memorize anything because my, ha I mean, I was a complete wreck, but what I did was I would make him read me a line and I would say it back to him. And I couldn't even say it correctly because I was so, terrified and we just back and forth back and forth line after line the whole two hours my other two kids were sitting in the back seat like whoo this is something <sighs> I'm sweating thinking about it it was really awful but but this psalm y'all know it I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come and that is exactly the question that was on my mind. How in the world is this gonna actually happen that we're gonna safely get to the airport? I, I, I was desperate. I didn't know that it would happen, but my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If he can make heaven and earth, he can probably get this car to Boise. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He is watching us every, he's, he's not even gonna blink. He's, he is with us every single foot, mile, kilometer, whatever, the whole way, the whole way. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade by your right hand. That protection again. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. All of the action is God. The Lord does all the work there. I don't do anything. 
What is the one thing that I do in the psalm? I fear. I lift my eyes. And I say, where's my help going to come from? I lift my eyes. I look to him. What are you going to do? I'm desperate, Lord. What are you going to I need you. Help me. And he absolutely did. Now, I was not trying to disciple my kids in that moment at all. Um, I did not say, oh, this is a teachable moment. I am now going to show my children how to take refuge in the fear of the Lord. Not even a little bit. I really, it was, it was a lifeline. Um, I, I, the Spirit just took us there. Um, the other interesting thing about it was that the anxiety did not really completely leave me the whole drive there. I never did stop shaking, and I remember having to unclench at the airport. You know, how you just, you know, I was sore from how tense I had been about it. Um, and I remember being a little bit ashamed in front of my children that that psalm did not magically transport me to this place where we were, you know, singing rock and roll tunes in the car or whatever, carefree. We never got to a carefree place the whole, the whole drive. Um, but here's a helpful thought um, from Ed Welch. I didn't know this then, but I have discovered this later. Turning to God and trusting Him in times of anxiety is a spiritual skill, and it's less automatic than you might think. What a relief is that? You need to practice it, and with practice, you will be able to turn to Jesus more quickly and in ways that actually erode anxiety. Progress will seem slow. The ways of God are that we grow gradually in meaningful trust and confidence in Him and love for Him. If your anxieties were immediately extinguished, you would turn to him less, which would be to your detriment. That made me think of um, when I had my first baby. They gave me like the, the greatest epidural of all epidurals, and I was so completely numb, I could not walk until late the next day. I mean, numb, completely. And so y'all know that when you're trying to have a baby, if you can't feel anything, you can't help get the baby out into the world. And, and that is how completely numb I was. So with my next baby, I talked to the doctor beforehand and I was like, I think I need a little less medication. Um, and so they did and it hurt a lot more. Um, but I needed to feel some pain to keep progressing with the birth. And I think the same can be said when we're thinking about replacing our fears for our children with the fear of the Lord. The remaining fear that we still have helps us know there's still something that we haven't given over to the Lord in trust. It does not mean that God has not given you any faith at all. It does not mean you're faithless. It does not mean you're a terrible Christian parent if you're not just, you know, sunshine and roses all the time. God's got it. You know, that's not, that's not how this works. Christian parents don't cruise through any season of parenting. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. It's not true. 
the the families that are sitting perfect families that are sitting near you in the pews you know upstairs they are a figment of your worried imagination it's 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 not true Chris, Susan Yates, did she speak to y'all's class one time? So she is a mom of five and a grandmother of 21. And she's written a lot of books, too. And I don't know how she has time to do anything. But um, anyway, she writes. And this is a woman who has a lot of children, discipling a lot of children under her belt, and a lot of kids to be afraid of. She's afraid for. Um, so many changes, so many challenges so many fears. If your kids are approaching the teen years, you're scared. If they're in the middle of them, you're overwhelmed. If they're in the late teen years, you're wondering if it's already too late. The constant rock and refuge that we have is the fear of the Lord. He never changes. His love for us in Christ is a solid fortress across space and across time. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I just pray that you will impress these truths on our heart, that you are our refuge and our fortress. Lead us to know that you're a safe person to pour out our hearts to, that we can bring the really real, the nitty-gritty to you. We don't have to dress up our prayers. We don't have to act like we've got it together. We don't have to act like our desires for our children don't have sin wrapped up in them. We can tell you everything because you know better than ourselves what's on our hearts, Lord. So I just pray that we would really come to you and trust you with our fears and our worries for our children trust you with our children know that you love them more than we do and that you are our refuge but you're also their refuge lord i pray these things will just get deep in our hearts and that because we have safety in you and we have trust in you lord help us enjoy our children more just relax into your care and rest in you in your holy name we pray amen you've been listening to audio from the cathedral church of the advent if you live in birmingham or find yourself visiting we hope you will join us at one of our sunday services find out more at adventbirmingham.org